what's going to alter my DNA? Uh, you know, that's obviously something to be afraid of, or it's going to make me infertile, obviously something to be afraid of. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes fear could be, is an adaptive response, right? It's kept, it keeps humans and animals alive. Um, but it's when it's, when it, when that fear and that emotional response supersedes um, our, 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 our rational brain, yeah. When it takes over, that's when it's maladaptive and that's when it's dangerous. Hi, everybody. I am so glad you're joining us on today's episode. This one is a very important topic. Each of them are. But this one in particular is relevant. It is current and it's something that the entire globe is dealing with right now. On today's Fuck Fear episode, we are talking about fear of getting vaccinated. My guest today is a husband and wife team, and I'm so excited to welcome them to the show today. As of now, according to the CDC, a little more than half of the U.S. is vaccinated and only about 32 percent of the world is vaccinated. So today we're talking about the myths surrounding the vaccine, why people are afraid to get vaccinated and what people need to know from a scientific standpoint about the vaccine. I want to start by first introducing our guests. First is Dr. Jessica Steyer. She is a noted expert in COVID-19. She has designed and led multiple COVID-19 related research projects for the largest FQHC, which is federally qualified health center in New York State. She has developed multiple modes of scientific communication, COVID-19 related information, including diagnostic and antibody testing, population health outcomes, and COVID-19 vaccine uptake. She is currently the co-founder and CEO of Vital Statistics Consulting. She serves as a public health scientist and a health services researcher. Her husband, also in the medical field, is Dr. Ethan Chapin. He's an emergency room physician at Jupiter Medical Center in Florida, where he also serves as the director of employee health. Prior to his career in clinical medicine, Dr. Chapin conducted research in the retinal cell biology and the Center for the Study of Macular Degeneration at the University of California at Santa Barbara. I am so excited to get into today's topic and talk about the vaccine and vaccinations in general. From a scientific standpoint, no politics, just science, you guys. So here we go. Welcome, Ethan. It's great to see both of you. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Yes. So I first start each episode with one question, which is, and I start with you, Jess, what are you afraid of? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Okay. The obvious things, losing a loved one, that's the number one, but I have some weird fears that Ethan will laugh at now. He knows I have a weird fear of birds dying. I know that's very specific. He's looking bewildered right now. He gets embarrassed anytime I say this. (laughs) I don't know what it is I have a thing with birds and it's irrational but yeah there you have it oh and heights (laughs) oh yeah yeah I totally understand that one yeah all right Ethan what about you oh I it's got to be uh irrational fear regarding my kids I Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just one of those people we have a I had to get a camera installed in the room when they you know when, when they were born and when I'm at work on overnights I'm I just check it habitually I um was the worst doctor parent when they were infants because I was the one going in and checking you know to make sure they were breathing every every five seconds I it, it caught me by surprise because I kind of 
thought myself as pretty rational and and medically you know comfortable with the the medicine and the pediatric aspect and um it caught me by surprise i, I yeah. think i'll leave it at that yeah i totally get that too having children it does create this like in it, this high level of anxiety i know i was the same way with mine i was always like putting my ear to their stomach and staring mm -hmm. at their stomach to make sure it was like going up and yeah. down ah yeah. man <laughs> Well, we'll get into today's topic, which is fear of getting vaccinated. So Ethan, I want to start with you. Obviously, you work in an ER in Florida, and Florida is one of those states where uh, some of the mandates have been lifted. So what are you seeing and what have you been seeing over the last six months to a year or so in the ER? Uh, it's It's been a roller coaster. When it first started, um, you know, no one knew how to react and and new york had been the first place hit and that's where i trained um so i was getting kind of ground uh ground reports from all my uh residents from or the people who were still up there uh, from residency and it was a war zone uh, the the stories they were telling me of of um just bodies being stacked in rooms um uh the, the morgue overflowing the refrigerator trucks filling up it was it was, it sounded like a war zone. I mean, it sounded like something in, in, in the Middle East. Um, and so I kind of panicked at first. I mean, I was, I was deathly afraid. Um, in fact, when it first started, we found an empty Airbnb in town here and I moved out. I, I moved into a, a different uh, house <clears throat> by myself just so I wouldn't risk bringing anything home to the family. And it was tough. That was, um, that was really tough because it, it, it didn't last long because it, it got to the point where I had no normalcy, no support and no center, you know, which is my family. Yeah. So um, that quickly, uh, relatively quickly got to a point where we were more comfortable with the, with the virus and understanding how to protect ourselves. Um, we had run out of protective equipment at that point, the PPE. Uh, so we were scrambling, all scrambling to get masks and, um, you know, gloves were running out. We were looking for donations from paint stores and Home Depot trying to get masks and, and gloves. Um, and uh, so it was it was a very uncertain time. And I think that it, it was scary just because of that, because we didn't know. And as we got to know more, we kind of settled into a routine where where we felt comfortable being around patients with the virus or, or sick patients with it. Um, and it was a ghost town that the hospital, the ER was empty. I mean, we were seeing close to, you know, a, a, a less than a quarter of patients that we would typically see at any given time on, on any day. Um, because no one was coming in. Everyone was afraid of catching it. Everyone was afraid of being near those sick people. And then I guess around the fall, so about a, about a year ago, um, it started to pick back up. I mean, that's when I think everything opened up again and people were trying to get back to open the economy and, and get back to life. And um, over the winter, <clears throat> it stayed pretty stable. And then we had our peak in, in November, December. We were comfortable with the virus at that point um, in terms of treating patients and feeling that we weren't going to infect ourselves, but uh, it was pre-vaccine. So it was still... You know, if you got it, we were still hearing about doctors on the front lines and nurses who, who were still ending up in the ICU intubated and dying. And, and um, 
it, once we got the vaccine, the, the amount of weight that just lifted off was, was remarkable. Um, all of a sudden you just felt like you had a protection, you had a defense. And, um, so right when we, when I got my second shot in January, um, you know, a few weeks later after, after the, the immunity had really developed, we, it, it just became kind of business as usual. Um, and that's when we started to see a decrease in the numbers, uh, after, you know, everybody had, um, kind of been exposed to that alpha variant, but then we start, then we got Delta and, um, this summer with, with Delta and uh, a couple of other things, it has just exploded. Um, the number of patients that we've seen, we were typically a seasonal town where we would see, you know, most volume in the winter when the snowbirds would come down mm-hmm. from the North and it would be pretty slow during the summer. <clears throat> and we were seeing most of the summer, we've been seeing numbers that are, that are above season level. I mean, it's, it's insane. And, and the, the budgeting and staffing didn't account for it. So we were chronically understaffed. Um, uh, either patients out sick, patients leaving the profession, patients traveling to where there was more money. Uh, I'm sorry, nurses and, and um, techs and everything. Um, so really, the last few months have been uh, demoralizing uh, is maybe the best way to put it because it's it's just a huge number of patients, a huge number of sick patients, not just COVID. Um, we're seeing a lot of acuity from all of the lack of primary care over the last year, patients not being able to get in to see doctors uh, and, and it's kind of coming to a head. And that Delta peak, you know, the Delta variant peak is, um, it, it's, we, we might be past the peak or kind of at the peak. Um, just past it, but it's it's been overwhelming, <laughs> absolutely overwhelming. Um, and the the worst part is is seeing the number of people, number of patients who who really didn't need to be there in yeah. the first place, um, right. with the lack of um, uh, vaccine uptake in in, in you know, certain segments of the population. We're seeing a, a deadlier, more contagious virus with a portion of the population that has decided it doesn't exist or isn't a threat and have gone back to normal life um, and and consider themselves safe from it um, because they're being told by that by the people they trust mm-hmm. uh, and and it's it's just heartbreaking sometimes to see the younger patients healthy patients um, who haven't trusted us with our expert opinion up to that point now showing up because it got real yeah. and, and they're sick and they need help. Yeah. So it's, it's been tough. How do you think your training in medical school had had or has not prepared you for what you're experiencing now? And when you talk about it being demoralizing, how do you, how do you rectify that? I, I think I actually hadn't thought of it though. I'm glad you, you brought that up because it did, it, uh, some of the things you go through in medical school are cl- courses on how to communicate and, you know, right. the stuff that you don't think you're there for and, and you kind of brush off at the time as, um, you know, I, I'm, I know I'm a compassionate person. Why do I need to learn about empathy or how to, how to communicate? Sure. Um, and so it, it really has, I think, forced me at least to kind of fall back on that in the moments where you get angry or you get frustrated or you get, um, uh, feel that, uh, you're, you're, 
expertise is being dismissed or, 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 or uh, just, just denigrated. And you have to really fall back on that, on that conscious empathy and conscious compassion, mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, walking into a shift and just caring about the people that are coming in. You have to force yourself because these are people who, who are now putting you at risk, putting other patients in the hospital at risk, putting the nurses and the, and the techs at risk um, because they ignored your advice. And now they're here asking for your advice and begging for it. And so, yeah. Wow. Um, according to the CDC, I, as of yesterday, September 8th, um, about half of the country has been vaccinated. They say 53.4% is fully vaxxed. And about that's about 1.177.4 million people uh, in terms of numbers. So Jess, you obviously look at these stats and what you do every day. And you also are co-host of a podcast called Unbiased Science. So when you uh, look at the numbers and realize and think about the number of people that still are left to be vaccinated, and you hear all the number of a myriad of reasons why people aren't getting vaxxed. What are some of the things that you got you talk about in your daily work and, and some of the things you talk about in some of your podcast episodes about the myth and dispelling some of the myths related to just people being afraid to get vaccinated? Oh, the myths. Uh, there is so <laughs> much misinformation swirling. Um Really, I'll just take a step back for a second, just say that social media has been a blessing and a curse. Uh, This is the first global pandemic to take place at the time of Facebook and TikTok. And, you know, these platforms are giving people this false sense of authority um, and a way to very rapidly disseminate disinformation. And unfortunately, there are many people who do have, you know, impressive credentials. There are scientists, there are physicians who are the top, you know, that we call them the disinformation dirty dozen. And they, um, they're profiting off of this misinformation. And that's the really frustrating thing that they're making millions upon millions of dollars um, selling miracle cures and supplements and books and workshops and they're profiting. And so people are getting so much conflicting information and they don't know who to trust. Yeah. And, you know, on the plus side, it's given people access to epidemiologists and immunologists and people who, you know, th- these are not the typical types of people that a lay person can interact with to get information, right? Scientific information. So it's been such a blessing and a curse. But that being said, um, there is so much misinformation. So the, the, the statistic that I think you just said, 50 something percent, that's mm-hmm. among the whole population. So right. that includes um, children who are under the age of 12 who can't get be vaccinated. But we still, even taking them out of the equation, you're absolutely right. There's this huge chunk of the population that's hesitant. Um, the majority of reasons, oh, I'd say the top three reasons that I hear always are concerns about um, fertility. Uh, two is that there'll be long-term effects and we just don't have enough data. And three, um, that there's, that they'll, you know, it's somehow changing our body, um, changing our DNA and is going to stay in our, the, the vaccines are going to stay in our bodies for a really long time. So there are lots of different ways that we like to approach this. So 
it depends on why a person is hesitant. Um, you know, sometimes we take an appeal to emotion approach and we talk about, okay, you know, you're young and healthy. You're not so worried about yourself, but are you worried about transmitting the virus to your neighbor who is cancer or your grandparent or leaving your child without a parent? Um, other times we try to reestablish the credibility of the medical and scientific establishment. People just don't trust mm -hmm. the CDC and Dr. Fauci. And you're so right. This has been so highly politicized. So we try to reclaim that by emphasizing transparency and all the different steps that we've had to go through, um, to, to, you know, all the different trials and how research trials work. And then for the, you know, these three claims that I just brought up, we like to really give people actual scientific information. And we realize, you know, we train for years. So there's some highly technical information that we could give, but we, uh, but we try to communicate it in a way that's understandable for people who don't have a lot of training. So for example, um, when we talk about long-term effects, we'll tell people, well, from every other vaccine that's ever been disseminated in the history of vaccines, we know that if you're going to have a side effect, it's going to show up within two months of getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And we now have well over a year's worth of data. Billions of people around the world have been vaccinated. If there were going to be long-term effects, we would have detected them by now. Um, for the fertility claim, for example, I mean, it's tough without getting into the nitty gritty of biology, but it's just not biologically plausible for there to be any impact on fertility. And we've seen millions of people at this point get safely vaccinated, then get pregnant or, you know, get vaccinated in pregnancy and then have their safely have a, have a child. We have all the major medical organizations, the American College of uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the Society for Fetal Medicine, begging people to get vaccinated during pregnancy. And the reason is because they're seeing all these people who are pregnant um, die or have complications or go into premature labor and need emergency C-sections, require mechanical ventilation. So I'm sorry if I'm giving you a long-winded answer, but no. the, it's sort of a combination of things and focusing on the science of vaccines. And also we're talking about the vaccines. Don't forget all the, the risks of the virus itself. Right. And when you do that cost benefit, you know, uh, comparison of vaccine versus the virus, it is such a crystal clear decision that the risks of the vaccine are minuscule compared to the risks of the virus itself. Yeah. So how is it? I mean, obviously, vaccines have eradicated lots of diseases over the last whatever, 100 years or so, whatever. I'm, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but <laughs> I mean, there are so many diseases that have been, have been eradicated by vaccines. And it, and it feels like there's always a segment of the population who is doubtful, who and also because of the amount of information or misinformation, there's always going to be a segment who are gullible or who is gullible. So how hard is it to do your job every day, both of you guys. How hard is it to do your job every day trying to convince people that the science is the science and the science is true and, and factually based and the science is scientific? How is it, how, how hard is it for you to do your jobs every day? Jess, I'll start with you and then Ethan, go back to you. Well, if I'm being honest, <laughs> um, it is 
beyond difficult. Uh, there are days Ethan has seen me cry more times yeah. than I care to admit. Um, I mean, it's it's so downright def uh, offensive that, I mean, it's like shocking. I can't believe, not that I got to live during a plague, but it's like I'm getting to use my expertise in such a specific, this is exactly what I studied my whole life and have devoted my entire career to. Yeah. And so to have people who ha don't have those credentials and to, to, it's just a real death of expertise and it's, yeah. it's horrific. Um, and the way we combat it is we keep trying and we think about, you know, every one person who we're able to educate and help them make an informed decision. I mean, how many messages we get from people who, who say you helped me, you're the reason that I got the vaccine or yeah, I used your information to talk to my father and he's getting the vaccine. So it makes it all worth it, but it does not mean that it's, I mean, it's excruciating. It's been, a disorienting year and a half to say the very least. Yeah. Wow. Now, yeah. what about you, Ethan? Um, I think my experience has, has highlighted a little bit more of a, a stark contrast. There's more dissonance in, in that when people show up to see me, when you're coming to the emergency room, um, not a hundred percent, but most of the time someone shows up to the emergency room, it's, it's either an emergency or they're worried it's an emergency, mm. right? Um, sometimes I'll introduce myself by by asking, you know, what are you worried is an emergency? Not why are you here, but because that can inform you on where they're coming from, what they're thinking, right? But but they're there because they have an implicit and and often explicit tr trust in in my background, in my knowledge, in my expertise. Um, I've never had someone question the efficacy of putting a chest tube in when they have a lung collapse. They don't question whether the x-ray was correct or um, that I have to, I'm, I'm telling them that we're, we're putting drugs in your body to, you know, fight an infection. Um, you know, we're always trained to um, uh, give people the, the, the risks, you know, of anything we do. So whether it's antibiotics, whether it's a procedure, um, admission versus discharge uh, versus the benefits. And oftentimes people, they don't even really care. They brush it off because they're, they, they're going to listen to you. They, they listen to us. You know, you're going to the operating room. Someone's going to cut open your abdomen and take out your appendix or take out your gallbladder or, um, I'm going to be putting you to sleep and putting a tube down your throat so that you don't die and putting on a ventilator. It's, there aren't, they don't question our expertise. And so the dissonance that I've experienced is that the science, the, the, the education, the science, the, the public health scientists, the bench research um, that goes into all of my knowledge and how to treat those diseases and those pathologies is the exact same as for the vaccine and, and the exact same for why we're using certain treatments for COVID and why not others, why ivermectin doesn't look like it works, why hydroxychloroquine didn't work, why, mm -hmm. um, or, or why dexamethasone does. It's based on data, it's based on evidence and, and, and the best interpretations that we have. <clears throat> and yet that's being questioned when nothing else is. Um, so, and that's why I said that the moralizing part earlier is when people um, show up unvaccinated and because it's experimental or because they've heard about complications anecdotally in friends or friends of friends, um, and yet 
they don't question the, the, there's not even a question about the drugs that we put in their body when they're there. Right. right. Remdesivir, you know, um, right. is ex emergency use authorization, but people want it. Um, uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine are not even emergency use authorized. They, mm -hmm. In fact, they've been told that they don't work and yet they're still asking for them. Uh, the Regeneron, the monoclonal antibody treatments, um, I, I informed a woman the other day who was not vaccinated because she didn't trust the vaccine uh, have got Regeneron and, and it's, 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 it's almost schizophrenic and how yeah. you just look at this and it's like, what, how, how, where is the logical connection between you don't trust the vaccine, but you trust monoclonal antibodies that were grown in mice to be pumped into your body. And, and it's, um, it's, that's, that's, that's the heart of why I keep saying demoralizing because yeah. we've, we've all dedicated our lives to, becoming experts in this and learning this. And mm -hmm. literally from undergrad on, it's science class after statistics class, after epidemiology, after biology, I mean, everything. And it, understanding the chemistry of it, the pathophysiology, um, how, to, how to interpret scientific literature. It took me 13 years to get to the point where I'm finished with residency and now a quote unquote expert on, on medicine and, and the science of medicine. And I and you have someone coming in telling me about uh, uh, their cousin who did research and decided that the vaccine is not safe. And I always tell Ethan that he's yeah. you know I can't imagine being on the front lines. Ethan knows how I feel about all of these incredible clinicians uh, dealing with this, literally have, being on the front lines of a global yeah. pandemic. But I always say, you're lucky you have that white coat because that does command respect. I'm just a PhD scientist. You know, it, it's so interesting to see how people just, the the death threats that <laughs> we get all the time, yeah. that claims that we're, we must be getting paid by pharma, the government, we're not, you know, we're totally- wish, I wish you were. <laughs> Because I wish Mike, I you'd yeah. have a yacht by now, right? Yeah, <laughs> you'd be really across the Caribbean. Right. That's what's very curious to me is the things that people question and the things that people decide to believe or not to believe. Uh, and and I've talked to so many people who and family members of mine who say to me, "I am anti-vax, and I've always been anti-vax." And I just, I, I'm not going to get it, but because of whatever, I, it's the, the government's in charge of it, or they're, you know, they're, they're inserting a chip in my body. And, and it's like, are you listening to yourself? Like, I don't understand that logic. It makes no sense. And yet you haven't read any material. You haven't done any research. You just decided that that's what's happening, but yet don't question whatever you go to the doctor and you have an infection and the doctor prescribes, whatever, you don't even know what's in that pill. So how do you, when you, when you get that kind of story and feedback from someone, how do you make sense of what it is they're saying? Like, how do you think people get to that point of just making that decision for themselves? That's, that's such a huge decision. That is a life-saving or, or not decision for them. How do you think people get to that point or have they always been that way? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. And I think it, it really varies so much, but I think at this point, I mean, looking at the latest Gallup polls, it really is so clearly uh, correlated with political affiliation at this point. Yeah. Um, there's just, it, which is such a shame because speaking of fear, I, I like to think, not like to think back to early 2020 when this first came about, 
things, it was terrifying. We were all united in our fear of this unknown. We had no clue. We were, it was almost like in a way, I I hate to make this parallel, but like almost kind of how I felt after 9-11, like this, we were terrified. We were like unified in in that way. And and I don't know, at that time they were, my goodness, uh, hailing all the clinicians, the frontliners, right, Ethan, you know, sending you guys gifts and meals and hailing you guys as heroes and talk about a 180. But I I don't know how we got here. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I have my theories, uh, you know, based on some poor leadership and whatever. Well, I, I, I also think if I could just say one more thing, Ethan, and yeah. then I know you agree something, I think the, um, I mean, I don't envy the CDC <laughs> having to to deal, you know, with, with a global pandemic as the literal authority, uh, you know, for, for the country and really impacting the whole world. Um, but I don't think they've done a great job with communicating to the public. Mm. And I don't think it's, you know, people say that they're flip-flopping. They're not flip-flopping. It's that science is always changing. We're getting new information. So it's not flip-flopping. It's just that we learned more. And so recommendations change. But I think we need, especially because of social media, like the CDC needs to be even more there needs to be more direct communication sure. um, with, with lay people, you know, with the general public. Um, right. Because I think the fact that they don't, it's leading this like veil of you know, right. the secrecy right. and distrust. I'm sorry, yeah. you were going to say something. To address that in terms of why people are making these decisions, um, I was actually, I was a biopsych major in in uh, college. So psychology, I mean, how people think, why mm-hmm. why they think what they think, that, that's, that was kind of my first love. And then I... I developed a love for the you know science and bio, biology and everything um the uh I, I think it comes down to the the inborn processes of, of how people think and so certain people are going to be more conspiratorial you know minded mm-hmm. they're going to be more likely to veer towards conspiracy theories and conspiracy conspiracy uh, thinking um and, and I think some people have more of a natural distrust of authority or, or resistance to authority. Yeah. And I think you get a combination of those two things and you get a group of people who are ripe for misinformation or ripe for um, a, a demagogue or, or someone who's going to, a snake oil salesman is going to profit sure. off of that um, mistrust or um, hesitation or, you know, conspiratorial thinking. So I think, and that's one of the difficulties for Jess and I both in our different, you know, realms of communication, whether it's in front of a patient or to a broader audience, um, is how do you, it's not just providing information, I I guess is the hardest part. It's not just, for people like us, if you give us the data, if you tell us the the science behind it, you you will convince me. I will pull a 180. I will change my view. it's not always fun to be challenged and, and, you know, especially a deep, deep, deeper belief in something, but you just do it. That's, that's science. I mean, that's, that's a logical way to live your life in reality, (laughs) reality based thinking. And, and there are many people who just don't have that. And I think that what it comes down to is you can't present them with data. You can't present them with just the facts or just the information you have to deconstruct what conspiracy hole they've dug themselves into. Um, and I, I was so happy to, to be introduced to you in this podcast because I it, it does so, I, it so comes down to fear. It, it comes down to 
a fear of relinquishing control, um, a, a fear of making the wrong decision, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt and, and um, uh, um, believing the best until you're proven otherwise. It, most people want to make the right decision. They want what's best for their family. They, they, they're not trying, they're not coming from a malicious or a position. Um, it's their fear has directed them to a false authority or yeah. to um, an echo chamber of misinformation. Mm-hmm. That's the challenge for us. Yeah. It's, it's, we have to take ourselves out of our normal, no, our natural inclination to provide data, to provide information and facts and evidence and um, come at them from another direction of, of, well, why do you believe that? Let's address what your fear is, you know, why, why are you afraid of this? And why, why does that emphasize the the illogic of why are you afraid of the vaccine, but not the monoclonal antibodies? Yeah. Why are you afraid of this treatment, but not that when the science has been used for both, you know, there's evidence behind both. Right. That's, that's what it comes down to for me. And that's the challenge I think. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. You guys we will be back in 60 seconds. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Single socks are so annoying, aren't they? Especially when you're sure you put two socks together in the wash, only to find one of them has pieced out somewhere in between the washing and drying cycle. But your problems are now solved with Soulmate Socks. They are magnetic socks that stay together in the laundry so you're never left with lost and single socks. Knitted from bamboo, they are the softest socks you'll have in your drawer. They're antifungal, antimicrobial, and they're breathable. So when you need your socks to stay together, grab a pair of Soulmate Socks, where every sock has a soulmate. Shop online today at soulmatesocks.com. That's S-O-L-E-M-A-T-E-S-O-X.com. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking today about fear of getting vaccinated. Our guests today are Dr. Jess Steyer and also Dr. Ethan Chapin. They both are in Florida. And uh, we're talking about the science behind getting vaccinated and fears around getting vaccinated. So before we took a break, we were talking about um, just the psychology behind people's decisions. And I wonder, Jess, and, and Ethan too, but I want to start with you, Jess. You mentioned um, just the amount of misinformation and and people listening to people that they politically agree with. But I wonder, how much do you think people's fears have been taken advantage of? Because you mentioned um, you know, there, there, there has been a lot of money made about, you know, based around fear and misinformation. So I wonder from a science scientific standpoint, how, how much do you think the fear is, has been taken advantage of or people's fear has been taken advantage of one, 100%. They, they've been that, uh, that fear has been taken advantage of. It's, it's used, um, to, to make a lot of people, a lot of money. I don't think that's the case for, for everyone who, you know, is either anti-vax or chooses not to get vaccinated. I, I do think that there are a number of people who, are genuinely scared of the vaccines and and just don't either either don't have access to good information or they don't know who to trust and where to get good information but there's no doubt that that people have benefited um from from people's fears um yeah yeah. fear i mean it's it's 
it's innate. It's the foundation for why a lot of people do make a decision or don't make a decision and fear keeps them from doing something very important in their lives. So mm-hmm. Ethan, with what, with what you're seeing it, do you ask the question of patients when they come in and the ones that have come in for COVID, um, how many of those do you think, if you can give a percentage, have told you that, that they were afraid of getting vaccinated? I mean, almost by definition, it's it's a hundred percent of the people who are unvaccinated. Now, some of them have less fear response as opposed to uncertainty, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it all stems from the from the same thing. I mean, it's it, so it's got to be a hundred percent because it it's a fear of commitment for some people, right? Mm-hmm. They're on the fence. They're not against it. They just the number of times I've heard, um, well, I was just waiting. To get for there to be more data, I was waiting for it to be fully authorized. I was waiting for um, uh, you, you know the next version of the vaccine. It, it's a it's a kind of a fear of commitment. They're not opposed to it, and I've heard that multiple many times. Is is I, I'm not against it. I'm just waiting. Um, so I don't see those people as as much fearful as in the traditional sense as the people who are coming at it believing in the, the conspiracies or the misin you know have bought the misinformation of um, what's well, going to alter my DNA uh, you know that's obviously something to be afraid of or yeah. it's going to make me infertile obviously something to be afraid of um, and you know I think sometimes fear could be is an adaptive response right it's kept it keeps humans and animals alive um, but it's when it's when it when that fear and that emotional response supersedes um, our 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 our, abil- our rational brain, yeah. When it takes over, that's when it's maladaptive, and that's when it's dangerous. And and again, circling back around to some people who have the fear and are just uncertain, you can communicate with them, you can provide them the information, and their rational brain will take over. And for whatever reason, a portion of our of the human species of our population um, isn't isn't amenable to, to communication, to, to, to facts, to words, to evidence, you know, they have their, their emotional brain is first and foremost, and they've made their emotional decision based on fear, um, fear of losing control, fear of the unknown, fear of, uh, the other political party, fear of scientists in general. I mean, you name it. And that emotional response is just anchored them and and they won't budge. Um, I had a bad encounter yesterday with a patient who I've seen her again for the second time uh, from COVID complications. And um, the first time was just residual shortness of breath, even though, you know, she was a couple weeks out and um, didn't need to be hospitalized. I blew the rest of my night because I spent too long talking to her, about like 30, 40 minutes talking to her, going through every piece of misinformation that she had bought. and when she left, she had said, well, I, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk to my family. And, and I kind of count it as a win. And so I get her back yesterday and she's got now has heart problems and she's got atrial fibrillation and I almost, almost had a cardiac arrest in the ambulance. Um, and when I talked to her about, so remember we talked about, we talked about it last time. Did you just think anything more about the vaccine? And she said, well, no, because my sister's friend got the vaccine and then had a heart attack and I don't want to get it now. So that's a legitimate fear. That's a legitimate thing to be afraid of. If, yeah. if, if that, that anecdote, you know, is the weight of evidence that you have, that's something to be afraid of. And, but, but it comes down to just the insanity of 
not recognizing you're in the hospital right now because you're having a cardiac complication from the virus. And you're worried about a cardiac complication from the vaccine. I just, I, you want to so, beat your head against the wall. And, right. and she finally told me to leave the room because she, I, <sighs> I told her what I told you when I said the, the, the science that we've used, the medication I'm giving you right now, right? And the science when you got the antibodies three weeks ago, um, the science is the same for the vaccine. And she looked at me and she said, no, it isn't. And I said, well, that you're fundamentally wrong. It absolutely is. And yeah. she said, well, that's not very nice to say. And I said, well, what do you mean it's not? She said, you shouldn't ever tell someone they're fundamentally wrong. And I said, well, if you're teaching a kid math and, and they keep telling you two plus two equals five and you look at them and you try to explain why it's not, you draw a picture and then they keep saying it and you say, well, no, you're, you're fundamentally wrong. It's not two plus two is not equal five. And they look at you and say, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. That's not nice. I can believe what I want to believe. And it's, you just leave saying like, what? is going on on this planet. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you know, exactly what I said, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you can be real and honest. <laughs> I, you know, I, I first want a, a disclaimer. This episode is in no way trying to convince people to get the vaccine. It is a discussion and a conversation around fear. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. But Ethan, how exhausting is that for you when you are spending this time speaking to patients and, and not just speaking to them, but reminding them of the current experience they, that they are in the midst of. They are sick. They are having all of these life-threatening issues that they're in the hospital for. And you see them leave and they come back. How exhausting is that for you? Not just as a medical professional, but as a person. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we deal with, in medicine, you deal with there's a concept of empathy fatigue. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think certain specialties experience it more. I mean, oncology, you know, dealing with just, sure. just li life and death every day. But, but that's a, 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 what, I, what we deal with in the ER as well. And um, it, it, death disease, dismemberment, I mean, everything. Yeah. And, um, and you want to, I mean, you go into, you go into it with with empathy with compassion and 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 through the career or different phases of your career i think it's you know that fatigue sets in but also the the burnout and the the yeah. moral it's been described as moral injury where mm -hmm. it's a it's a um, fundamental betrayal right in that yeah. we're there we're at work we're, I've, I've go into the hospital every day um you know really putting myself at risk, which puts my family at risk, um, physically or, or financially, um, you know, whether through lawsuits or picking up, uh, infectious disease or, or, I mean, physicians have and nurses have been attacked and physically assaulted by patients. Um, so it's a commitment on our part, right? Yeah. We're, we're, um, emotionally and, and physically committing ourselves to caring for the people coming to their front doors. And they betray us by, by not caring enough about us mm. to, 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 to listen to us. And, and I don't ask for blind trust, but, but they're there for a reason. There's an implicit trust. And, and then when I'm asking you to trust us and, and then, you know, it's, it, you just get to the point where, um, yeah, there are days you question like, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. So you guys together as a family, how has 
the situation that we're all in affected you as a family? I mean, you obviously come from medicine from two different perspectives and what you see every day is a little bit different, but the same. So how has it affected the, how is the fear that you deal with, with other people every day affected you guys as a family? So much. Um, I think it's frustrating for us to live in a place um, that, I mean, again, I'm I'm really not trying to get political, but um, where there has been such a blatant (laughs) um, fight between politics and science and, you know, the um, looking at other states where there are um, data-driven policies and mandates and restrictions, the fact that here, uh, you know, some politicians are fighting against, you can't eat, you know, schools can't require masks. You know, that's, that's terrifying for us. And it makes it challenging because we know that masks work best when, everyone is wearing them. So yeah, we can send our kids in with masks and that's going to provide some protection, but even more protection would be if masks were worn by all of the children, for example. Um, So, and we're living in a place where usually uh, there's a statistic called the test positivity rate. And it's out of everyone who gets tested, how many are testing positive? Um, The CDC classifies low risk as 3% 3% or less. Um, we, we typically use 5% as the threshold, like that should signal closures. Um, Europe is actually, I think they set it at like 2%. Florida has consistently been over 20%. Oh my God. Um, so it's impacted, you know, we're, we're not, and our kids are young and normally we'd be doing things and socializing and having birthday parties and celebrations. We, we haven't done any of that. And I'm not, you know, um, I don't want to complain. I know people are dealing with a lot worse than that, but you know, it, it has obviously affected our lives. We had our kids, we kept our kids home from school for a while there. Um, now they're in school and every day we wait for a dreaded email that someone tested positive on the second day of school. Uh, there was an outbreak in, in, um, in our son's class. And, you know, so it's, it's, affected our whole lives. We have my, my mother who, um, you know, we, we recently lost my, my father actually just right before COVID. My mother is alone and, you know, over 65 years old now and has other health conditions. And we're terrified if, you know, if she were to get COVID, that would be, have really bad potential consequences. So, um, in terms of just daily life, I'd say our baseline (laughs) anxiety level is just unhealthy and high at all times. Ethan's laughing because I'm Mrs. Anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Are you really? (laughs) Yeah. Probably because you know too much, right? Like you study the data every day. Well, yeah, even pre-COVID, he would allow yeah. to just throw a pandemic in there. I'm not a very, uh, I don't take a lot of risks in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I married, I married a, a Brooklyn Jew only child. So, <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so that's where we're starting from. Oh my gosh. I get it. I get it. Oh my so. gosh. Yeah. But I think, you, you know, knowledge is a double edged sword. So, right. so knowledge can be used as, you know, as a, as a, as a mature intellectualization, I guess, could be used as a mature defense mechanism. And, and I think we all engage in that um, to get through daily fears and anxieties. Um, and that helps us. Jess and I are able to communicate about stuff. I think because we are coming from different perspectives, I, I turned to her for the, for the hard data, epidemiological, you know, um, and statistical stuff. 
Um, and then she, she turns to me for the, for the, the stories and, and, you know, what's happening on the ground and, you know, the, the medical knowledge. So we're able to kind of help ourselves through, through, through our shared knowledge, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that is we're also, you know, intimately aware of the, of the real risk and the real numbers. And, um, there's no wool over our eyes. I mean, it's this stark reality of scientific evidence and, and so it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's stressful. Yeah. Just and exhausting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, sorry, Ethan, to jump in, but we're also, and, you know, people do come to us for advice and, and guidance, you know, our friends, family, people I haven't heard from, we haven't heard from in decades are coming out of the <laughs> woodwork. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to, if, if there's any information I could provide that would be helpful, that's great. But it's, it's very hard to turn off. You yeah, know, even you could attest, right? Like I'm, we're always on, we're always consuming information and conveying information and that comes at a price. So it's just a constant exhaustion. I always, I'm thinking about my kids, you know, of course there's guilt. I'm not present enough for my kids. I'm too yeah. wrapped with the pandemic and science and all that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys think we will ever... I, I'm an optimist, so I always like to see the hope in a situation. It's been very difficult, obviously, to see hope in the situation. I mean, I felt a sense of hope at the beginning of the summer when things started to open back up. I mean, I was a little anxious, but a little more hopeful because, you know, we had some mandates in place that, you know, the the number of vac- the people vaccinated was increasing and I guess measured, but steadily to some extent increasing. And so I felt a little bit more calm, but now it feels like we're back to where we started and it feels like we've made no progress. Um, And then you look at, you know, the numbers from each of the states and then kids are going back to school. So it just, it feels like we are kind of in this constant cycle and we're on this just hamster wheel of, will we ever get out of it? So I wonder from you guys' perspective, do you ever think we'll, when do you think we'll get to a point of um, calming people's fears or do you feel like it will take a lot longer than you expected to get to that point? And if so, how long do you think it, it'll take or will we ever be at a point where there is um, enough fear that supersedes the amount of people being sick every day? That's a fantastic question. Um, It's a moving target. So just, I I don't wanna ramble too much, but my mind goes immediately to herd immunity. Um, And if you're familiar with the term, it's how many people in our population need to be vaccinated to provide population level protection. Back last year, when we were dealing with uh, the earlier strains of the virus, the original strain, um, even the alpha variant, um, the R0, which is how we measure how contagious something is and how many people one person will infect, um, we were dealing with an R0 of like 2 to 2.5. With Delta, we're at about 8. It ranges from 5 to 8. So we're dealing with a totally different beast now. So where originally we needed like maybe 60, 70% of the population to get vaccinated for that herd immunity. Now we're closer to 90%. So I think we're gonna see some more mandates. I think that'll get our numbers up, but that's not 
going to be a hundred percent. And I think we're going to actually rely on that fear. It sounds terrible, but people right now, there's this disproportionate, irrational fear of the vaccine right. when the fear should be of the virus. Think right. unfortunately, there's a holdout of people who are mm. going to need to lose loved ones mm. or get very sick themselves or have someone in their lives get sick. And then for them to develop uh, where the fear should be, emphasize on the virus itself. Um, I don't know that we'll get to that 90%. And the virus is mutating and and we don't know that could it's like I said, it's a moving target. So it's very possible that we're gonna live with this and it'll become endemic endemic and it's like every year we get a flu shot and we get our COVID shot, possibly. We don't know yet. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually banking on that fear. And I, I hate that it's come to that. I wish that we didn't need to use fear as a tool, um, but I actually think that's our best bet right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, Ethan, when you said information is a double-edged sword, it also seems like fear is also a double-edged sword because yep. it's like you want people to be fearful of the right thing and less fearful of the other thing. So it's it's such an interesting uh environment that we're in right now where and 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 you see it's like you see stories every day like i watch the news every day some days i have to like decompress and just cut it off my children are like can we please not, not watch the news today i'm like but i'm gonna miss out on something i gotta know what's going on but every day you see a story of a patient in the hospital who can't breathe or is having trouble breathing and they say i wish i had and We've seen those stories for weeks and months now. And and, not, and and still yet you have people who are like, no, I'm not getting the vaccine. So could you answer the same question, Ethan, from a different perspective? Um, I'm, I'm an optimist as well. I, I try to yeah. be. I'm a flawed optimist. Um, <laughs> uh, so so I'm, I'm optimistic about it happening. Um, I don't think this is the thing that's going to wipe out our species, but um, unfortunately, I, I, on, a, on a species level, I don't think that we have ever adapted quickly uh, on, mm. on, a, on a large scale. Small scale, absolutely, right? Um, and I think that's where some of our fears come from, is, is we kind of have an innate understanding that, that a small group can make rapid changes, but not a, not a large. And, and mm -hmm. so we mistrust the others, we become tribal and, and you know, stick to what we know. Um, I think, and like Jess said, and like you're, you're alluding to with the people who are, who are sick and saying they wish they had, they had done the vaccine or on their deathbed or, or their family, you know, in mourning saying, we wish they'd gotten the vaccine, now we're gonna get it, um, uh, which I've seen multiple times, mm -hmm. it's, it's, Unfortunately, in terms of the timing, it's going to have to take enough time for it to hit home for enough people, right? Yeah. So, so the the fear, the double edged aspect of fear, right? You, you, it, it can be, it can be productive. It can motivate you. It can, right. it can um, save you, have you, have you avoid certain things. But it's got to be an appropriate magnitude and appropriate focus, sure. right? Um, and and like Jess is saying, this ir irrational or un imbalanced fear of the vaccine versus the virus, it's going to have to hit home enough where yeah. enough people are going to have to know, I, I know someone who was injured or died from the virus. 
you know, overwhelming the number of people who, who say that they have heard about someone who has had a vaccine related injury. Um, and so it'll happen. It's just going to be, unfortunately, I, I think a question of how many people are going to suffer in the meantime um, and how yeah. many variants surges we have to go through before it happens. Yeah. Ethan, how do you recharge every day when you leave the hospital and, you know, you have the experience that you've described in the last hour and you come home? How do you recharge every day and re-motivate yourself to get back up, get dressed and go right back into it? Yeah. Um, Jess is laughing in the background because uh, <laughs> our water bill has, has suffered. Um, oh. So my my immediate recharging is uh, grabbing a a beer in the garage as I'm peeling off my scrubs and having a shower beer <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> wow. Um, the world. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's, 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 it's to uh, separate myself. I basically, my way to recharge is I, I need um, just to be uh, off and separate um, and that's the first step in kind of like decompressing from work, I guess. Yeah. Um, other ways of recharging um, exercise. I mean, it, 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 I've always needed that just to kind of maintain my brain chemistry and, and um, that has become extra important for me. Um, the kids help, you know, it's, it's cause it's, it's all, joy so you can just yeah. get away from the from the stress um yeah. obviously there's stress with kids but it's a it's you know it's a different it's a it's it stress you want yeah, <laughs> yeah. right right <laughs> um in terms of the larger picture i don't know if i can answer you if i'm actually recharging you know mm. um i think i'm i don't know i hope i'm not draining the battery and recharging a bit draining it more recharging a bit and 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 ending up empty um, I'm kind of afraid for that. I mean, I don't know. I, I know at this point I couldn't do, if this was what the rest of my career is going to be, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I just couldn't do it. Um, and, um, so some of that empathy, I don't think, and compassion, I, I don't think can be recharged. I think it's always there. If you go into medicine, I think there's, you know, greater or lesser degree people who, who, you know, you have that compassion just in you. I mean, you're, you're in a, human being oriented profession um and some have it better than others but um it's it's not that the compassion isn't there it's it's does the frustration and quickness mm -hmm. to anger match that compassion and, and yeah. empathy um and that's what i it, it's almost not that the i'm recharging i also have to being at work is actually charging that anger and frustration battery and i've got to find some way to to drain that Right. Oh. Right. Right. I don't know. Wow. I feel like I want to send you guys like a gift basket <laughs> of fruit and chocolate and lots of wine and beer. <laughs> you would welcome that. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe I will after we yeah. finish this. Um, as we come to a close, I always like to end on an upbeat note, you know, as we talk about things that are honest and true and authentic. And we have talked a lot about uh, about those things from, you know, obviously you guys perspective um, and what's real and what's really happening right now. So 
what is your advice to those who are still afraid of getting vaccinated? What do you want them to know from both of you? The, the top three things you want them to know that will help them either get over their anxiety or just kill their fear of getting vaccinated altogether. Jess, I'll start with you. First and foremost, you have to please, I should say, you, I shouldn't say you have to, please trust the scientific process. Um, I don't like shouting at people that I'm an expert and you have to listen to me and that, th you know, this is 100% fact. Science is, it's all about evolving information and questioning. But there are a lot of really smart people out there who care very much and are not getting paid a lot of money, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, who are going through a really rigorous, day and night studying these vaccines, nothing in the history of mankind, I would confidently say, has been studied as rigorously as these vaccines. Um, and the evidence is just overwhelming that they are safe, they are effective. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is that I, I wish that people understood that vaccines were not designed to necessarily prevent transmission. Um, they do prevent, I think it's like 66% uh, efficacy when it comes to preventing transmission, but what they're really, really, really good at is um, preventing you from getting really sick, needing hospitalization, and heaven forbid, dying. Um, so yes, you're going to hear stories of vaccinated people having breakthrough cases. Don't get scared of that. It just because there's so much virus out there, it's a numbers game. Yes, there are a lot of people vaccinated. Vaccinated people are going to get the virus. But guess what? We are not seeing a lot of vaccinated people in hospitals and even fewer dying. Mm -hmm. um, there was one other thing that I thought was so profound that I wanted to share. And of course, I'm blanking um, on the vaccine scenes. Uh, Ethan, maybe jump in and it'll come back yeah, to me. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. the first thing I would say, and, and I try to remind people is um, who, if you're hesitant to get it and, and whatever source you're listening to, whatever source you trust to get your information, ask, ask yourself or try to find out, have they gotten it? Right. And, and you, you want to get down to the point of our, our you know, to discuss are people profiting off this are people not maybe not just through money but through you know a f be becoming a false authority becoming someone who has followers on social media or um you know um gets no notoriety are they vaccinated it's a it's a i think an appropriate question to ask because i try to tell people you i would be the first person to to die on the hill of defending your right to choose right but it, it comes down to, are you making that informed choice? And so that's why we're, that's why we're doing this is, is, is to get the information out there. So you can make your own choice, but make it an, an informed choice. And you got to get the information from somewhere. So is the source that you're getting your information from, are, are they doing the opposite of what they're telling you to do? Mm -hmm. um, is, is, I think the biggest thing I would tell, tell patients I remember what I was going to say, if I could just jump in. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so in science, we, we train to, um, to design studies and to design them well. And we choose different study designs based on ways that we can control different factors that are affecting outcomes. So I say that for a reason. So you know, Ethan described a situation where a patient came in and said, oh, well, I heard that my aunt, sister's neighbor's cousin had a heart attack after getting the vaccine. 
That's an anecdote. That's not science. So the way, the reason that I, we don't dismiss that. Is it possible that it was due to the vaccine? It's possible, but it's extremely unlikely based on you know, data sets that we have with thousands, if not millions of people that allow us to control for other factors that might have led to heart attack, for example, and that's example that Ethan gave. So maybe it's just that that person you know, would have had a heart attack whether or not they got the vaccine or they had diet or they, did drugs or you know, they did something else that impacted that outcome. And with research and properly studied uh, experiments, we're able to control for those things. That's why we don't live in a world of anecdotes. Mm -hmm. So just one more time with that example with the with the heart attack, we hear you know, there was some concern about myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle. And there was some concern about uh, a few cases of myocarditis after the mRNA vaccines huge, massive studies were underway. You know, there was, should we halt the vaccine like we did with Johnson and Johnson with the slight risk of blood clotting? They studied, they studied, they studied, and they determined, no, the cases were extremely mild. Those people, extremely rare and mild. The, the young men who experienced it were, they ended up healing and they were just fine. Flip the coin, look at the data that we have on the vaccines. Every organ system, I mean, of the virus, excuse me, every organ system is impacted by this virus. Mm -hmm. The rate of, of, forget myocarditis, talk about full-blown heart attacks and, and, you know, MIs and very serious cardiac events and um, cerebrovascular events, people having strokes and blood clots after the virus. So I understand you're scared of, of someone injecting something in your body. And I think there's something about that that evokes mm -hmm. fear in people in and of itself. But just injecting something into the body should not in and of itself be scary to you because we ingest things on a daily basis and nothing has been studied as much as these vaccines and the ingredients in the vaccines and the ingredients leave our bodies in just a few days. Um, so sorry, that was my rant, but there's so much mm. I can say about this and how rigorously studied it, it has been. And really, you know what? If you're scared of the vaccines, that's okay, but please also be scared and be more scared of the virus because millions of people around the world have lost their lives to it. And yeah. no, I think two people in the US were confirmed to have died as a result of blood clotting after the J&J &J vaccine, as opposed to 650,000 American lives lost to the virus. Yeah. So look at it that way. Well, that's <laughs> a good place to end. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This has been so good and so informative. And I so appreciate what both of you guys do. Listeners, thank a healthcare worker today. If you know of someone who is doing this job every day, thank them for what they do. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Ethan, for what you do. You guys, you can check out Jess's podcast. It's called Unbiased Science. Um, wherever you get your podcast. And um, I just appreciate what you guys do and, and doing this job every day for months on end. And obviously it's gotten a little bit challenging. <laughs> probably, that's probably an understatement um, <laughs> over the last several months. But um, I hope that this has been very informative uh, for those listening today. So thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you we so much see. for having us. Yes, absolutely. Thank everyone. Yes. <laughs> and we may need to do a part two. I'll talk to you guys about that later. But yes. for now, thank you so much for listening to Fuck Fear. We have been talking about fear of getting vaccinated. We will see you next time. Have a great day, everybody. Coming up on a new episode of Fuck Fear. What else combats fear? Well, knowledge. A lot of times we're scared of the unknown. So in something like reality TV, that's it's like, you know, and it's not exactly The Apprentice. It's not exactly The Real Housewives. It's the big shot with Bethany. She's got an, a reputation for being a loose cannon, right? So you're just like, that's kind of an unknown, uncharted territory there. She's a world-class DJ, entrepreneur, and a recent reality show contestant on The Big Shot with Bethany Frankel. Nicole Rosé Stillings comes on the podcast to talk about the fears she faced as a contestant on the show. And she talks about how she worked through those fears using a beautiful mindfulness mindset. You may be surprised what else she talks about, some of the behind the scenes she shares with us. So be sure to join us on the Fuck Fear podcast. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. If you feel led, I'd love for you to write a review, check out other episodes. And as always, thank you for listening.